we thank you that you are our Father and that you have made us great promises to redeem us, to renew us, to draw us out of this world and to renew all things. Help us, O Lord, to look to Christ more and more faithfully. Help us to know that you are at work in us and that you're working in us as you're working through us to bring about your kingdom in this world. Lead and guide us, O Father, by your spirit that you have given, that we would evermore be made more and more like our Lord Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen. Amen. We all have seen the signs. The end is coming. The end is near. We see those signs and we make jokes about it. If you're from way back in the mountains like I am, you go to Walmart and you actually see people wearing the placards at Walmart. The end is near. What does that exactly mean? We all get wrapped up in thinking about the end is near. The end is some far off distant moment, but yet it is near. We think about how it's in the future. But the reality is that right now is the end. The end is now. It's here. It's not necessarily some far off, far flung future moment in our lives or even tomorrow, but right now in this moment we are living in the end. What a message to think about today. Now, I bet you all thought I was done talking about the end of the world. Spent the last two weeks already talking about it, but here we are again at the beginning of Advent, hearing about the end of all things. Hearing about the end of the world that is not really in the future, but is right now. And that's just simply the time that we live in. We live in a time where the end is all around us. The sinful world is being wrapped up. It's being put down. It's being put to rest. We more and more are confronted with the reality that there is something broken within this world. And Advent helps us to confront that, helps us to be confronted by that. We come into a confrontation because of Advent. Advent brings to us that confrontation by walking us through these next four weeks. Each week has its own unique theme, hope, peace, love, joy, and love. And in a way, hearing about each of those things should be a confrontation toward us. Because why do we need hope? If I'm all right, if everything is technically all right, or if there is no purpose for this world, either of those things, if either of those were true, there is no need for hope. <clears throat> there is no need to look forward to a change in this world, to look forward to a change in myself. So why would we need hope? And so we have to be confronted by the reality that we do hope. We do have a sense of assurance that things are going to be changed, that things are going to get better. Hope is that sense that directs us to realize that something is deeply wrong and that that deeply wrong thing is going to be fixed some way. So hope has two sides to itself. It has that fulfillment, that assurance, that looking forward to a change. But there's no point in looking forward to a change if there's nothing to change in the background. Hope doesn't make sense if you don't realize that something is wrong. And so we need hope because deep down we've all recognized something is wrong. 
Whether we hear the word of God or not, there's something wrong with us. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said that of all the truths of Scripture, the fact that we are sinners and that there is original sin is the one that doesn't need scriptural references in this world. Because if we just open our eyes up and look around honestly, we see that there is sin, there is brokenness, there is wrongness in this world that is all about us, that is all around us. Thank you. And one of the ways that this brokenness has come out in my own life and in my own mind is this past few weeks I've just realized the amount of noise, distractions, things all around me that take my attention away from important things. This noise and distraction, it saps my energy, it saps my strength, and it saps my desire to draw near to the one who gives me hope. And thus, in me looking forward to wanting hope, my attention is continually drawn away to make me hopeless, to make me lose hope. And that's what's opened my eyes to the realization of the, of the backside of hope, that there is something wrong that causes me to want something better. And it's that my eyes have been opened to this wrongness, that there is something wrong. <clears throat> there is a lack. There's a lack that is essential to the good life. If I have hope, then what I have in this present world is not what I will have in the future. Hope is as much, again, about realizing the lack in the past as it is about realizing the good things to come. But here I am, here we are stuck in the middle of that. Not having what we need, but being promised more than I could ever imagine. And that's where we come into confrontation with hope. It forces us to realize what's missing and what is promised to come. If we neglect this need for hope, then we end up with nothing at the end. For without seeing our need for Advent, then we skip past everything and end up missing the true gift of Advent, the coming of the Lord to make all things new and to bring about the end of all things old. And so as we go through this, these passages today, I'm going to try to hit on both Zechariah and in Luke and kind of see how they come together. We have a question of why is Advent a confrontation of why we need hope? Why do we need this hope? And we hear it, I think, in the very first words that we hear from Zechariah. There in 14 verse 1, it says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. When the spoil taken from you, that is you Israel, you Jerusalem, will be divided in your midst. For I, the Lord, will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. What stark words we hear. And this is the backside of hope. This is why the people have to look forward to something in the future. There is a day coming known to the Lord when the spoil taken from the Jerusalem people, from the people in Jerusalem, will be divided in their midst. The nations of the world will come charging into Jerusalem and conquer it. And the people will be so downtrodden that they'll actually watch their goods, their personal goods, be taken away from them and divided amongst the armies that invaded and conquered Jerusalem. 
And they'll just sit there without anything, unable to respond anymore. And then the prophet says, For I will gather, speaking for Yahweh, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. You see, it is God himself that is calling the nations against Jerusalem. And why would he do that to his own people? Why does he act against his people? It's because of the age-old problem that had continually existed in the people of Israel. From almost immediately coming out of Egypt, just within a few, within just a short time as they got to Mount Sinai, they quickly turned to idolatry. They are sinners who continually worshipped other gods. They would worship anything that would bring them immediate gratification of their desires. The people of Israel were attuned to seek that which will satisfy immediately. And that's the basic history of Israel in a nutshell. God redeemed them and saved them. They turned to idolatry. God brings discipline against them and they turn back to God. And then they immediately start to cycle over and return to idol worship. Because God saves them from the people who have come against them. And they just stay in this cycle throughout their history. And that is the background of what is happening because Israel is continually turned against God. And Zechariah is writing after the Babylonian captivity, after the Babylonian exile, when the people have returned back to the land, returned back to Jerusalem and rebuilt it and are rebuilding the temple. And here he says a day is coming when this is going to happen again. Over and over and over again, you people turn from God and he will bring discipline against you. He will bring punishment against you and destroy the city. And he calls the nations against you because that is what he has said he would do when you turn from him. The end of Deuteronomy is all about that. You have the good promises of God when you live within the boundaries of the Mosaic Covenant. But if you reject that covenant and pursue other gods and pursue other ways of living, then God will bring the curses against his people. He will destroy his people for their refusal of faith, for their refusal of belief, for their refusal to trust his promises to care for them. Over and over this happens throughout the history of Israel. Even when the kingdom broke in half and you have the northern kingdom which just lived in idolatry from day one. Even in the south that had the temple, they bounced back and forth. They would have a faithful king and the people would live faithfully. Then they would have a wicked king and they would turn from the Lord again. Just back and forth. And so Yahweh says, I am going to bring the nations against you. And that is the backside of hope. That is the side of hope that we don't recognize that there is something broken. It is us who brings about discipline. It is us who have all the promises of God. Israel has all the promises and yet they continually turned away from the Lord. Their eyes should have been fully open to the full realization that they are broken, that they are sinners. And for those who realize that, they were there in the midst of Jerusalem as well and they were having to deal with the other people's sin. They were being disciplined just as much, looking toward Yahweh. And for them, there was hope. There was hope to come. There was hope that would be brought to them. But like I said, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Luke 24, 21. He is speaking of the same situation at a cosmic level. and Or Zechariah 14 is kind of a cosmic level, a metaphorical description of the life of Israel, you might say. I'm not sure if there's been a specific fulfillment of what happened there. 
at the beginning of Zechariah 14. But I know in Luke 21 that there has been a fulfillment. There in verse 25 through 28, I still believe this is about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. That Jesus, earlier on in this chapter, as well as Mark 13 that we heard from the last couple of weeks, it's all about the destruction of the temple. The people are so amazed with the temple, but yet something greater than the temple was in their midst, Jesus himself. And after his death and resurrection, that temple would have to be destroyed because the people were clinging to it. They were refusing to see the Messiah. And in order to mark the complete and total end of the Mosaic Covenant, the reality that it had been fulfilled in Jesus, the temple would be destroyed. And this language here in, Mark, here in Luke 21 of the signs and the sun and moon and stars, the earth in distress, the nations in perplexity. Mark 13 has it more phrased with the sun will be darkened. The, sun will not, the moon will not give light. <clears throat> the stars will fall from the sky. <clears throat> this is all apocalyptic language from the Old Testament. Isaiah 13 is a, uses much of that same language to talk about the destruction of Babylon. Stars falling from the sky, the sun being darkened, the moon like sackcloth. There, cosmic events are happening, but it's about the destruction of Babylon, not the literal end of the world. Likewise, in Isaiah 34, this very same kind of language is used to talk about distress in the earth. The stars melting from the sky to speak of the destruction of Edom to the south of Israel. Edom would be destroyed, and it's described as a cosmic event with stars falling and the sun being darkened again. A general way of using language to describe the fall of great nations. That it is a cataclysmic, cosmic level event because the entire world of these people is completely upended. All that they knew is destroyed. All that they were used to is ripped out from under them, and that is what the temple is on even a grander scale for the Jews. The temple is everything. It is a place where heaven and earth meet it is the place where they meet Yahweh himself, his footstool, where his feet rest there at the covenant, there at the Ark of the Covenant. Yahweh is to be found there. Sacrifices are brought before Yahweh there. There the priests pray for the people. And God is going to upend everything because Jesus has come. Jesus came. He was born into this world. He lived a life and he was crucified and died and was buried. But he rose again and he ascended into heaven. He wrapped up the Mosaic Covenant for us. The powers of heaven were shaken with his death and resurrection because everything was upended. A new beginning began by bringing about an end to the old beginning. The old covenant, the Mosaic Covenant was wrapped up in Jesus and in that ripple effect, eventually the temple would be destroyed to prove that that was done. It would have to be destroyed because of the rejection of the Jews. That they would not turn to Yahweh. They would not turn to Jesus. They would not hear that he was the Messiah. And they would cling to the temple. They were hanging on to the temple and so it was destroyed. And everything was wrapped up. The old covenant was completely fulfilled in that moment. Because there is brokenness within the people. That they can't see and recognize Jesus as Messiah in this case. And Jesus gives his disciples that warning that when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. When God brings judgment, 
It shouldn't be the end of our hope, but the renewal of our hope. He brings judgment against unbelievers, against the wickedness in the world, against the sinfulness in this world. He judges it in order to bring about redemption and salvation for his people. In Christ, all of that occurred. Judgment occurred upon Christ as he took the sins of the world upon himself in order to undo them that people might turn and be forgiven and receive the salvation and redemption that Yahweh desired, desired to pour out upon this world that Yahweh could bring about a complete renewal of all things in Jesus. And here these events are signs of a greater event, that is, the rolling up of heaven and earth and the renewal of all things. Most of us read this section of, Matthew, of Luke 21 as being definitely about the end. It applies to that, but I still think that it's really about the destruction of the temple with this cosmic-level apocalyptic language. But it applies to the future because these events direct us to the fact that things have to change, things have to be renewed, things have to be rebuilt and remade and recreated by God Himself through Jesus and by this power of the Spirit. And that is where our hope is. Our hope sees and recognizes that in the past of our own lives and of the world, the brokenness that pervades everything, the brokenness that pervades myself, the brokenness that drives me from the Lord. And when hope takes effect, it looks forward and hears those promises and clings to those promises of change, of renewal, of redemption at the end. And no matter how bad the moment is right now, we're looking to the fulfillment of God's promises. And his prophecies are promises. When he prophesies, when Jesus himself prophesies the destruction of the temple, and it happens within 40 years of his saying those words, why do we doubt that he can return, that he can know of that in advance, that he could speak of the coming destruction of the temple? Enough so that the Christians fled from Jerusalem when they saw the Roman armies beginning to amass because they knew that destruction was coming. When those armies were destroying destroying the people of Judah, destroying the Judean province, they were coming through, moving toward Jerusalem. The Christians saw that happening. They saw the armies gathering. They saw some kind of fulfillment of Zechariah 14 beginning to occur. And so they took advantage and they fled because Jesus had warned them. He had given them a hope that he would provide a way for them to escape, which is what he says over in Zechariah 14. That when his feet rested on Mount Olives, on the Mount of Olives, it would split and create a pathway, a valley that the people could flee through as he then turns against all of their enemies. As we see the brokenness of this world being played out, we look for Jesus to come. We look for Yahweh to act, for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to begin their work in us and to work it out through us to reach the rest of the world and begin changing things. And one day, He will come again. He will come because the end is here right now. He will come and wrap up all things. And He will provide a way. Jesus Himself is our way to redemption, to salvation, to flee from the destruction that is to come. Our hope isn't for the destruction itself, but it is for the redemption that flows to us through Jesus as he brings about judgment against all that is wicked and all that is wrong in this world, all the sinfulness in this world. As he judges that, he himself is our valley, our way to safety and security, our way to peace. 
He is who we place our hope in. The one who will fulfill all the promises of God. The one who will bring about all things that he has promised. And so in Advent, we are looking not merely to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. It is a time of preparation of looking forward not just to the birth of Jesus, but to his return from heaven. To his coming back. And in his coming back to renew all things. That he will bodily return to this world and change all things. And that's why on this Sunday we are hearing about the end of the world in that sense. We're hearing about the coming of Jesus in the future, not in the past. But without his coming in the past, there would be no coming in the future. Without his death and resurrection and ascension, there would be no coming in the past or coming in the future either. We are driven to recognize the need for Jesus and thus the need for hope in him. That he is the one who this is all about. His death, resurrection, and ascension is the linchpin of all of history where sin itself is dealt with. And thus he was born to deal with that sin and he will return to bring about the consummation of all things, the manifestation of his kingship and of his true kingdom as he renews us and makes us perfectly into the image of that he represents right now, that he is. And so what do we do in this mortal life? What do we do in the in-between where we are stuck in the middle between seeing what is broken and wrong in this world and in ourselves, driving us to have to hope for something new, for something better, for something greater. We let that hope drive us to Christ, drive us to Jesus, drive us to who He is and what He is doing and cry out for that grace that He gives to us. As our collect of the day says, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness. Thus, our hope should lead us to draw near to Jesus and put away those works of darkness, put away our sins, begin seeing them as sinful actions and put on the armor of light that is Jesus Himself. Jesus is that armor. He is the true light that has come into this world. And so we cling to him. We hope in him. We look to him. To put him on in this mortal life. So that in the last day when he comes again, we will rise into life immortal. We will rise into the fullness of true light. By wearing Jesus now. By hoping in Jesus now. By clinging to Jesus now. By letting hope confront us, by letting Advent confront us with the brokenness within, that we could look forward to the renewal to come. That we can look forward to all things being made new once more. So may we, as we journey through Advent, slow down and free ourselves from the noise and hear the promises of God that will drive us into a greater and deeper hope. When we hear those promises, they will force us to realize what is broken within. They will force us to realize that we are sinners in need of redemption day by day by day by day. Always looking back to Jesus. Always seeing that we are sinners in need of change and that Jesus is the one who brings that about in us and brings us ever nearer to himself. And that is the action of putting on Jesus, seeing our sins and confessing them and walking faithfully with Jesus, trusting his promises. And so may we slow down and do that this Advent season and prepare for his coming, prepare to celebrate his birth into this world, to celebrate all that he has done for us, for that birth is for a purpose to bring about redemption, 
There are so many moments in our faith where you can look there, sit there and look at the history of our faith in Jesus' life and be like, that changes everything. That changes everything. His birth changes everything. His preaching, his healings change everything. His death changes everything. His resurrection changes everything. His ascension changes everything. And that is why he is who we put our hope in because he is the one who changes everything. And so may you find that blessing of change in your life as you cling to Jesus in hope and being assured that he will accomplish all things and come again. Let us walk in the light and wear the armor of light that is Jesus himself. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.